Aren't you grateful for that today? Nothing can make me clean but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But thankfully today, it's available. It's available to anyone who would choose to trust him. I'm grateful today that he has made me clean, that he has washed me from my filthiness. I am a sinner, worthy of damnation, worthy of an eternity separated from God in a Christless hell. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I'm clean. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. I didn't earn it. But he, by his grace. What a wonderful gift, amen? We so need to be reminded that it's a wonderful gift. And it's not just for us. It's not just about me. John said he was the propitiation. He's the, the, I never say that word right, but you know what I mean. He's the satisfaction of the righteous requirement of God for my sin. But not for my sin only, but for the sins of the whole world. His sacrifice is enough to pay for the sin of the whole world. Do we realize that there's not a person that we will meet this week who Christ's sacrifice isn't enough to pay their sin debt to? And I just suspect there's a lot of people out there in the world that would like to know about that. Was it good news to you? you, Can you just take a minute and go there? The first time you came to the realization that the God of the universe loves me so much he sent his son... I mean, you know, maybe you, like me, I grew up in church and, and I'd heard it all my life and I'd heard the stories and all that stuff, but I, I do remember the day when the, when the fog cleared and it just became very obvious to me. I, I understood the gospel that, that my sin had separated me from God, but, but Jesus Christ paid my penalty. He took my sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. And that was good news. That is still good news. And it's good news to to everyone we'll meet this week. Every person that I will interact this week, it's good news. We just need to share it. We don't have a message of condemnation. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world's condemned already. I come into the world that the world might be saved. It's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of salvation. It's a message of grace. It's a message of mercy. 
And we've been made agents of it. If you're a believer in Christ. We've been given the message. And the freedom to go share it. I fear that we convince ourselves that nobody wants to hear. And I'm sure they don't want to hear about church and rules and religion and I don't blame them. I don't want to hear that either. But they would love to hear about a God who loves them and sacrificed his son for their salvation. We've talked about this year being more intentional about that. We working out of a, a passage that God used to bring me back here a couple of years ago in 2 Kings chapter 19 where, where, where God, is, he's talking to Hezekiah about Sennacherib but, but God just spoke inspirationally to me out of this passage that for the first two years we would spend time taking root downward but, but now here in this third year we just started my third year here in, in January and so we've spent this month really dealing with this emphasis and, and, and today we'll, we'll wind this up as far as the messages, we're going to keep the emphasis, I certainly hope, uh, throughout the whole year, talking about us, us going forth. And, and, and what he says there in the passage is that we would sow and reap and plant vineyards and, and eat the fruit thereof, that we would take, after having taken root downward, we would bear fruit upward and, and then go forth. Go forth into the world, uh, fulfilling the vision that God's given us, that we would reach the world for Christ by loving God and loving people and, and serving both. And so as we talk about that today, we're, we're talking about being that new generation and reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just being willing to, to have gospel conversations, just being willing to go out and to sow and to water and, and let God give the increase. The pressure's off. It, I can't save anybody. I can't convince anybody. You're not going to argue anybody to Jesus. That doesn't work. And, and don't even try it, right? I see people want to get in debates and arguments and, and, and Lord, help us social media. What a mess. I think sometimes we're more concerned about the, the political climate of the day than we are the spiritual climate of the day. I think sometimes we're more committed to our, our political affiliation than we are to the, the cause of Jesus Christ. Should not be the case. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. I, I'm looking, I'm like Abraham. I'm looking for another country whose builder and maker is God. That, that's where my hope is. And I hope yours is there as well. We, we need to be about that business. We need to be about fulfilling our purpose. We talked about Acts 20, 24. The apostle Paul's headed to Jerusalem and they tell him, you're going to be bound and you're going to die. If you go to Jerusalem, you're not coming out of there alive, Paul. And Paul says, you know what, that's okay. I don't count my life dear unto myself. I, my, my purpose, I, what I want to do is I want to finish my course. I, I want to finish the ministry that I received of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's our ministry too. To be about testifying to the message of the gospel of the grace of God. And so we spent this month in, in John. You can look there if you want to. John chapter 4. We, we've been in chapter 3 and we looked at Jesus and his encounter with this uh, incredibly religious guy, Nicodemus. Uh, who, was, who was very religious but, but very lost. Uh, he didn't know God. And so uh, he, he helps him to understand that religion isn't uh, a blessing. Religion is a curse. Uh, he helps him to overcome that religion and, and, and see that he is a sinner and, and establish that conviction of sin so that he can experience the conception of new life. 
We cross over into chapter 4 and, and Jesus makes that statement where he must needs go through Samaria. He, he's going to meet this woman at a well. He has this divine appointment. He leaves this controversy, this argument about religious things and he goes and, and he encounters her at, as a well, at, at a well and, and he must needs do that because he's sensitive to the leadership of God in his life. He wants to fulfill God's plan and do God's work and he knows that God has prepared her for the message and he has the message and so he goes and, and he speaks to her and he's sensitive to the need that she has in her life. He's sensitive that she needs water and he needs water and, and they have a conversation around that and we've, we've talked about that. Last time we talked about even though this divine appointment is happening, there's, there's some walls that needed to be tore down. Uh, he, he needed to go where she was. There was a wall of geography. We need to go and encounter people who don't know Christ. We've got to go to them. And, and when we do that, we, we need to be willing to overcome the wall of racial prejudice. You, you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ with the message of the gospel and be racial, racially prejudiced. Amen. It doesn't work. Yeah. we got to recognize that. And, 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 and not only racial prejudice, but other prejudice that we have in our lives. Some of the political nonsense we're talking about. Amen. People need the gospel. And, and you know, I think sometimes we struggle to remember where we've come from. You know, you've been in this thing long enough, you start thinking you deserve it. Somehow you've merited God's favor. And those people out there don't. Based on how they live, their lifestyle somehow offends us. So now we think they don't deserve God's favor and God's, merit, God's grace. None of us deserve God's grace. That's why it's, that's why it's called grace. <laughs> that's the way it works, right? That's why it's mercy. That's why it's grace. And we're to take that message. And, and we surely aren't the ones who get to determine that. We, we need to overcome those things. We need to, to tear down those walls. Religious tradition is a wall. Very prevalent wall in the southeast. A lot of religious people. Billy Graham years ago estimated that over 50% of the, the church is lost. People who attend church every week but don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's an alarming statistic. Today I want us to talk uh, a little farther. We, we, we talked about Last time, tearing down those walls. And so we, we said that we should seek out the individual and, and seize the initiative. And, and then we, we signaled the sin. And, and so we're to, we're to be engaged with people. And, and I know that, I've said it before, there's a pain line involved in that. Uh, it's, it's tough for us. And, and we do have a, mind, a mindset that is, is, is built up against that. And, and, and we've, I think, convinced ourselves that, that, that we... We aren't responsible to do that. We've even convinced ourselves, particularly in the climate today, you know, that, that maybe, maybe there's some political freedom that we need in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've bought into the lie of the, the God of this world that, that 
our faith is, is, is fine, just have it in church and have it at home, but you can't share it in the public sector. We've believed secularists that, that we shouldn't go out into the public arena and speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's simply not true. I want to show you a video clip. This is a video clip from a documentary. It comes from a book. The book's called The Insanity of God. And it deals with, I meant to show it to you last week and we ran out of time, so I'm going to show it early this week so we don't run out of time. And then I'll cut me off and not the video. Uh, but it's, it's dealing with believers under persecution who would never give up under persecution what we so easily give up in freedom. It's very convicting. Let's watch it. This will come, will come uh, to house church leaders for help to settle disputes. Why have they become 400,000, 700,000 to 100 million? They said, we've got a decision that we make every day. We can ask ourselves this question. Do I want to identify with believers in persecution or do I want to identify with their persecutors? And when you ask them, well, how did I determine who I identify with? They say, by whether or not today you share Jesus with someone else or you keep him to yourself. And in America, I hear all the time, uh, religion, faith in America is a personal matter. That's from Satan. And so what believers in persecution have said that's brutally honest is, when I keep my witness from my brother in America, my father, my sister, my boss, then I am identifying with the persecutors because I'm keeping my witness to myself. Listen, uh, I'm doing these interviews in the year 2000. Now, I don't know where he gets his information, but James Merritt said 90% of Southern Baptists born in the church, raised in the church, saved in the church, baptized in the church, married and buried in the church, nine out of 10 will never share Jesus with another person. That's what's killing believers in persecution. They are saying, you are giving up in freedom what we never give up in persecution, and that is our witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they said, here's the mistake you're making. You think that witness is tied to political freedom, and that, that is so biblically incorrect. I am as free to share Jesus in Saudi Arabia today as I am Kentucky. I am as free to share Jesus in Afghanistan as I am in Ohio. Politics, countries, presidents have nothing to do with this. God has said you are free and you are to share the gospel with everyone. When we are obedient and exercise our freedom, then do we have the courage to suffer the consequences. For them, this commandment meant more than taking a day off. It so represented freedom from It's a powerful, people. powerful because only those concept. Who are free can choose to take a Sabbath. When we fail to share our witness, when we fail to witness for Jesus Christ, we identify with the persecutors of Christians around the world, not with the persecuted. That's what they said. When we give up in freedom what they would never give up under persecution, 
we identify with their persecutors. What they're saying is we're adding to their persecution. We become the persecutors when we give up in freedom what they would never give up under oppression. James Merritt's statistic from 2000, obviously dated, but 20 years ago, 90% of people in Southern Baptist churches not only never led anyone to Christ, never shared the gospel. Never even told anyone else about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's an alarming statistic. I, I love how he, he wound that up with, it's not about political freedom. It's not about who the president is. I'm free to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because I've, I've been made free. God made me free. And when I live in that freedom, then I have the courage to be willing to suffer the consequences. As my brothers and sisters do around the world who share that message under the threat of persecution and under very real persecution. We must take the message of the gospel to the world. And the way that we do that it's, it's, it's just the, the very process that we've seen. We, we, we let God arrange those divine appointments for us. We, we tear down the walls. And then today I want us to talk about building bridges. Once, once we've torn down the walls, then it's necessary for us to build bridges to those who don't know Christ as their Savior. We, we've got to build a bridge because there's a division in, in, between the church and the lost world. There's a division between Christians and the lost world. We've, we've created our own subculture. We, we operate outside the mainstream. We've got our own music. We've got our own activities. We've got our own language. We, we isolate ourselves from the world, and that is not who we've been called to be. We've been called to be influencers. And in order to do that, then we've got we've to build bridges back so that we can take the gospel to the world. So a few things. I want to see four things real quick this morning about building a bridge back to the lost world. The first one is this. You've got to develop common ground. If we're going to take the gospel, if we're going to build a bridge, then we've got to have common ground close enough that we can span the difference, right? I mean, it just makes sense. If we're going to build a bridge, we need common ground and, so that we can span the difference. Listen to what Jesus did. It's in John chapter 4, verse number 4. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Jesus chooses this place, Jacob's well, uh, that was a place that was considered sacred both by Jews and by Samaritans because it was a place of common ground. It was a place that they could meet together. Neither of them are going to feel threatened there. Uh, and they could meet and they could have a conversation. You know, used to, there was a day and time when church was common ground. There was a time when, when everybody went to church. People who were saved, people who were lost. People who knew Jesus Christ, and, and I know still there's people who are saved and lost that go to church, but, but back then it was everybody. 
I mean, Sunday morning was, was, was a time when, when people left their homes and, and they went to the church. Uh, it's not like that anymore, but, but there was a day and time when it was that way. But it's not anymore, so now we have to find a way to build a bridge, to, to make a connection, to develop some common ground. If, you, if we add to the fact that, that they aren't coming into the church and, and many of us live isolated lives, right? We, we do that thing where we pull into the garage, you know, we open the door as we go in the driveway. We, we pull into the garage and we close the door before we get out of the car. If, if we're isolated, if, if we're not building relationships, we're, we're working from home, we're, we're going to school from home, we're ordering our groceries from home, we, we have a problem. We, we don't have an influence into the world. We're not reaching the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what I found? I've been doing this for about 30 years. Oh, it hurts. Sorry, I digress. To think you could have done anything for 30 years. I'm not even 30 years old. How's that possible? I don't know. Makes no sense. You know what I found in church? Whatever it is, our natural tendencies are just the opposite of what God says, dude. You ever notice that? Here's how, we, here's how we function oftentimes in church. We, we live with the mentality that we isolate ourselves from the lost world. You know? That we, you know good Baptists, you know, we want to we wanna go from the, from the cradle to the grave without ever having to touch a lost person. Baptist born, Baptist, I don't know, whatever, Baptist bred, Baptist wed, Baptist dead, I don't know. We just want to, you know, want to make it through unscathed. And somehow think that God's pleased with that. And so we create ways to isolate ourselves from the world. What did they say about Jesus? What was, what was the religious crowd's accusation against Jesus? He's a friend of sinners, publicans. And was that a fair accusation? He, he was. Matthew, Zacchaeus, Mary. They, they were, even the Samaritan woman, right? When the disciples showed up, they said, what are you? She said herself, why are you talking to me? But when they show up, they're like, why is he talking to her? She's an outsider. But a lot of times, somehow, we've, we've convinced ourselves that that's the right way to operate. That's the right way to function. We'll separate ourselves from the lost world. Let me tell you, let me tell you the other side of that. But, but some, mm, some believer in Jesus Christ who professes to know Christ as their Savior but lives in sin, we'll, we'll, we'll coddle them and, and love on them and hug them and draw them in and just act like it's no big deal. You know, God said do just the opposite. Not, not that we go in and, and enter into uh, partnerships and, and be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. No, no, no. But we are to build relationships with people who don't know Christ for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. 
We're to develop common ground. But he says, for the believer in Jesus Christ who lives in sin, then you go to that person and you rebuke them, you correct them as a brother, meek. I understand Galatians 6, we saw it Wednesday night as we were praying together. We, we go with the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves less, so we also be tempted. We, we, we walk through that whole process. But he says, if they won't repent, then what you do is you separate from them. You don't believe me. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Let's just see it. We don't turn in our Bibles much. Turn in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's, let's just see what the Bible says. What's, what's God's idea? Uh, again, because I, I fear we, we do it just backwards. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse number 9. Again, Paul's dealing with this Corinthian church. They have sin in the church. They've got issues. They've got all kinds of issues. But he says, uh, verse 9, I, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. And so he says, okay, well, Paul's admonished them not to, not to keep company with fornicators. Okay, sexual sin. Yet not altogether with fornicators of this world. So he's clarifying, I I didn't mean not to keep company with fornicators of the world because that's going on everywhere. Or or with covetous or extortioners or adulterers, it's not limited to that. For then you must needs go out of the world. He says, that's that's happening everywhere, that's rampant. You wouldn't be able to live in the world if if you weren't around lost people who are committing sin. But, verse 11, now, I now, but now have I written unto you not to keep company... Okay, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or railer or drunkard or extortioner, with such a one, know not to eat. There's, there's multiple passages we could go to. I'm not going to take time to do that this morning. But what the Bible instruction is, is, is we're to build a bridge to people who don't know Christ have a relationship with them so that we can share the gospel for a, a conduit of the gospel. We, we ought to have relationships with people who don't know Christ, not, not so that we can make a notch in our gospel again. I'm not, 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 I told you last week, not bait and switch, none of that stuff, but because we genuinely love and care about people. We value people. We love people because God loves people. And we want them to know the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want them to, to understand and experience his grace and his mercy. But he says, now, but when we're dealing with the believer, well, then that's different. We rebuke them when they sin, and if they don't repent, if they're not willing to return to Christ, then we we separate from them because we hate them. No. No, because we love them. Paul goes on and says, "It's, it's for the destruction of the flesh. Not... Not, not to destroy their bodies, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, what needs to happen in my life is that my flesh is destroyed. And so we don't continue to coddle people and, and, and condone their sin. We deal with it. Now, I know we struggle with that because we want to function based on our way of thinking, not on thus saith the Lord. But that's what the Bible says. 
And we have a tendency to do it just backwards. So we need to establish common ground with people who don't know Christ. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Obviously, we can, we can do that through our, our professions or through our schools or, or through our, our hobbies and our activities, our, our special interests, whatever, civics groups. We, we've talked about this community impact celebration that we're going to do where we're inviting 10 nonprofits in. And, and the idea is for us to get involved in those nonprofits and to minister in our community and to meet real needs in our community so that we can build relationships and so that we can build a bridge, so that we can get connected to people for the purpose of sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need, to, we need to develop common ground. The second thing we need to do is develop a common need. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well, and said it, uh, and it was about the sixth hour. And then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So it's the middle of the day. It's the sixth hour. Uh, understanding a Jewish clock, it's, it's noon. It's high noon. Not the time that you would typically come to the well. Not the time that this woman would typically come to the well. She's there because she's an outcast in her society. And so Jesus meets her there and, and they both have a common need. They, they both need water. And that's the reason that the conversation centered around water. They, they had this perceived or this felt need for water. The real need isn't physical water, but the real need is living water. So once they've established the common ground with a person, then we need to begin to work to identify a common need. If we were in a third world country, then that, a lot of times that's easier, right? We, you, know, you, you can see that, well, they need food, they need clothing, they need shelter. Those kinds of things are obvious needs, and, and we can work to meet those needs. And, and, and that's more and more common in our culture. There's, there's going to be some of that as we begin to do this community impact celebration and we get involved in nonprofits. We're going to find that there are some very tangible, physical, felt needs in our community that we can be a part of meeting. We can, we can do that collectively or, or even individually. What a wonderful thing it would be for us to get involved and, and begin to minister and to meet needs individually. But certainly there's other felt needs within our culture. We, we, we are terrible at relationships. Marriages are failing in our culture. We, we need to understand financial stability and how to handle that and, and how to have stronger relationships and, and how to, to raise children. And there's, there's a ton of needs that, that we all have. We want to identify those needs and, and speak into those needs and meet those needs. We've got to co- identify the common needs that we have with those in our community. It's our responsibility. When Jesus speaks to the woman, he, he reveals the need with a simple question. Give me to drink. And we've understood from the culture and the time that we've studied this together that she understood him to be saying, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. I care about you. I want to, I want to know you. I want a relationship. And so the goal for us is to figure out how is it that we can go into our community and and speak into the lives of people that we encounter and and communicate that we want a relationship. We we recognize that we all have a common need and and, and that we have that connection together. A lot of times we, again, as believers in Christ, and I'm, I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't know how to intelligently share the gospel but sometimes we just have our canned program that we know how to recite yet we don't really understand what we're even saying we need to understand the fullness of the gospel the death burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ I'm not adding to it but be able to share that message in a way that is relevant to whomever we're talking to 
Jesus understood the culture of his day. He was a student of the culture. And understanding the culture of his day, he knew how to interact. He, he had a, an effective approach to deal with this Samaritan woman that, that opened up the opportunity for him to begin to talk with her about who he was and who she was. Questions can be very powerful tools. We would do well to ask more questions than make statements. And when we ask questions, we would do well to listen to people. So often in our culture, we, you know, we're, we're watching just, just for that millisecond when their lips stop moving so we can jump in. <laughs> Maybe we'd just be quiet and listen and let people talk and care about what they say. Then maybe God would give us some wisdom to speak into their life. And then maybe they would be willing to listen because we've been willing to listen to them. If we want to discover a common need, then we've got to talk to people. We've got to listen to people. We've got to build relationships. So we need to develop some common ground, discover a common need. And, and then there's the opportunity to, to deliver compelling conviction. Deliver compelling conviction. Verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. So Jesus, he's, he's established the common ground there at Jacob's well. He, he's identified the need of water. And, and now he's going to deliver this compelling conviction. He, he, he's not beating her over the head with a Bible. He's not telling her what an awful, awful sinner she is. Now, Jesus preached some of those messages to the religious people. He would preach that message in here. But when he went out there, it was the message of grace and mercy. He reserved his strongest words for us, people like you and me. People like you and me who, as I mentioned a moment ago, would take and teach the doctrines of men as the commandments of God. People who would violate the scripture to, to keep our own sensibilities. People who would become their own authority and feel like they were the ones who had the corner on the truth. Those were the, those were the, the harsh messages come. That, those were the sermons that, that Jesus had hard things to say. But when he went out and he dealt with people who, who didn't know him, when he was dealing with the world, he loved them and he, he helped them to come to a realization of their own sin, to see their own need so that they could receive the help that he had to offer. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, when, when Paul's talking to this Corinthian church, he, he identifies our ministry as a ministry of reconciliation. It's not a ministry of alienation. It's a ministry of reconciliation. It's seeing man reconciled to God. That's what we've been called to. Man is already alienated from God. It's like Jesus when he came. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but I came that the world might be saved. The world's already condemned. 
I'm bringing a message of reconciliation. Paul says, in all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry we have. We're ministers of reconciliation. We're we're to go out and to, to connect people back to God through his son, Jesus Christ, to show them the way to be reconciled. Tells us in verse 19 how to do it. To wit, to witness that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's good news. <laughs> right? That, that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to the world, to reconcile the world to himself, that God satisfied his own need for righteousness. That he's not only just, but he's the justifier, that that he doesn't want to impute their trespasses to them. He wants to take their trespasses off of them and put them on himself. He wants to bear that burden for them. That's a wonderful message. That's a wonderful message. I'm going to tell you today, there's, there's no greater message in the world. I've said before, if, if this was the Oprah Winfrey show and I told you you all were getting a car, some of you would become Pentecostal. I mean, you'd be jumping these chairs, tripping on ping pong balls, running around acting like a fool. And I'm not suggesting that you do all that. But I'm going to tell you, what Jesus offers, that, that, that car <laughs> ain't going to last long. But a million years from now, what Jesus gave me, <laughs> it'll be as powerful as it is today. I'll appreciate it more because I'll understand it more fully. What a, what a wonderful gift. I won't even have to use a microphone. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. God initiates reconciliation. He, he wants to reconcile people to himself. All we do is we just go and, and speak the words. Have the conversation. It, it might be simply questions. It, it might be just a, a simple testimony of, of what God's done in your life. It doesn't have to be a, a doctrinal dissertation. God can take your words if we will surrender to his lordship, if we will allow him to be the authority. He can take the words. He can say things into the lives of people that you have no earthly idea what he's saying. It may seem like the most benign thing that you've ever said in your life, but if you're under the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not, I'm not talking outlandish craziness. I'm just talking about living a life, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and you speak into someone's life, and God speaks through you, and, and, and you don't even know you said anything. But God said, see, I told you. And he establishes conviction. 
because he's manifesting himself. You see, our responsibility is just to live life under the lordship of Christ, surrender to the Holy Spirit, dead to ourselves, alive in Christ, live for his glory and for his honor and in his power. He'll handle the details. He said that's why the Holy Spirit comes. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, no man can come to me except the, fa- uh, except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. He said, you, you can't come unless the Holy Spirit does this work. John 12, 32, by the way, in case we think that's a limited atonement, John 12, 32 says, if he be lifted up, speaking of the cross, he'll draw all men to himself. So it's not a limited atonement. It's, it's all men, means all men. John 16, Jesus comes back and says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, he, he, I will send him unto you. And so he comes and he indwells us as believers. And when he has come, what's he going to do? He's going to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. He, he says the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to indwell us as believers. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. He lives within me and he wants to work through me to achieve those three goals to reprove the world of sin, to to show the world that that we are sinners. And it's our sin that separated us from God. He wants to reprove the world of righteousness. That Jesus Christ is righteous. If a person's going to be saved, they need to recognize they're a sinner. And they need to recognize that Jesus is righteous. And they need to recognize because of that difference, we are worthy of judgment. And it is coming. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, though. That's not my work. I can't do that. I can't achieve that goal. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. But he can do it through me. Once we've found that common ground. We, we've, we've, we've manifest the, the common need. We've delivered compelling conviction. There's only one thing left to do. Display a common solution. Verse 20, Jesus worshiped. The, the woman says to Jesus, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that it is in Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, and which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus displays a common solution. It's that same text we looked at last week that in in four verses, eight times, he mentions the word worship. It's about worship. It's It's not about church attendance. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about praying a prayer. It's about worship. When I say worship, I'm not relegating it to the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. 
but I'm talking about finding in him everything that you long for. Let me read the quote I read to you last week. I think it's a wonderful quote. Worship is about giving your heart to God because you believe he alone can satisfy your longings. It's admitting that you want holiness, and he has it. You want forgiveness, and he offers it. You long to be loved, and he is love. You need joy, and he freely provides it. You want freedom, and he is the redeemer. You want security, and he is our refuge. Today, run from those things you have worshipped and given your heart to, but which have failed to satisfy those longings. Worship by recognizing he alone is great enough to meet the longings of your heart. Don't be afraid that he will disappoint. Give your heart to him. Discover the greatness of our God. That, that's what worship is. That's, that's the common need. We, we all need holiness. We all need forgiveness. We all need love. We all need joy. We all need forgiveness. We all need redemption. We, we all need security. And worship is when I turn to God through his son Jesus Christ and I, I admit that I can't manifest those things. I can't get that on my own. I bow before you because I realize you're the only source of it. I trust you to be all of those things for me. God is the solution. And this woman at this well, she believed that. In fact, if you look down at verse number 39, she believed it so much she went into the city of Sychar and she began to tell other people about it. Come see a man. Surely this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. That's what she's saying. This is the Son of God. This is the Redeemer. This is God in human flesh. And many of the Samaritans in verse 39 of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come out unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and, and he abode with there two days and, and many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman now we believe not because of thy saying for we have heard him ourselves and know this is indeed the Christ the savior of the world that's what it's about recognizing that we we have a common need, and that need is met in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we've been called to do, to take that message to the world. We, we, we gave you a silly little ping pong ball when you came in this morning. A lot of them have responded to the invitation today and come forward. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Somebody count those numbers. Let's make sure we get that down. Good Baptist church. All it is is just a way to graphically depict as a church gospel conversations that we're having. And so what we're going to ask you to do, there's a new kiosk out in the foyer. It's got a, a display across the front. When you have a gospel conversation, everybody got one of these today. If you didn't, there's some out there. You can pick one up. What we would ask you to do is just write the first name. Don't write first and last, but just the first name of the person that you had a gospel conversation with. And take that little ball and drop it in there. 
So it's going to do a couple of things. Hopefully for us, it's going to make us more intentional. Hopefully every time we see that, we're going to realize and remember, hey, I have somebody there that I'm praying for and I'm, I'm having conversations with. Don't expect that, that one conversation is going to get the job done. It's going to take multiple conversations. But it's also going to say to the rest of us, it'll be an encouragement to all of us as we walk by. That's how many conversations our church is having. Praise the Lord. Other people are doing that. I, I need to get on board. I, I need to be having those conversations. We just want to keep it before us so that we're constantly thinking about having gospel conversations. Let me just quickly reiterate. It is about obedience. It is about just having the conversation. It's not about somebody becoming a project. It's not about one conversation and then, oh, they weren't interested, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. It's about building relationships with people, loving people and caring people, valuing them because of their inherent value, valuing them because God values them. And then having the courage to step across that pain line and speak into their life. Can we do that? What, how different would Decatur, Alabama be at the end of 2021 if all of us who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ would simply have that conversation with one person? I'm not suggesting we limit it to one, but what if we just had one conversation throughout the rest of 2021 that was an ongoing conversation What, what difference would that make? I, I'll tell you, for the person who receives Christ, it'll make all the difference in the world. In fact, it'll make all the difference out of this world because that message has the power to change their eternal destiny. And it's worth it. Father, we love you. We love your word. We love your son. We're grateful for his sacrifice for our sin. We're grateful that you have made a way for us to be made right with you. Lord, today, I pray you would burn within our hearts that it's not just for us, that it's not limited to us. It's, it's for the whole world. It's for people that we don't even like. We don't love. We don't know. People who are different than us, that value different things, who have other cultural priorities and political bents and sexual preferences and all kinds of things that are different than us. God, I pray we'd put all those things away and just come back to the reality that we all have in common sin and a Savior. That we would see people like you see them. Love them like you love them. And allow you to work through our lives. I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet. We're going to sing a, a quick verse of song today. Maybe God's spoken to you and you want to come. Maybe you're here today and you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. We would love to help you with that. We have folks that are here that can take you to the privacy of a prayer room. 
show you how you could know for sure today. If you died, you'd go to heaven. We would, we would be honored to help you with that. Maybe you just need to come and pray as a believer. We invite you to come. While we sing, if God's speaking to you, do what he wants you to do. While we sing. Just as-